Smart Council is a production of New Pattern Counseling, with additional support from Multnomah University. To learn how to support this podcast, visit patreon.com slash smartcouncil. Reese Basimio is a counselor, teacher, and writer, and the founder of New Pattern Counseling in Gresham, Oregon. His clinical specialties are addictions, gender, sexuality, and spirituality. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Smart Council, Theory In-Depth Equine Assisted Therapy. Smart Council provides perspectives and resources on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma. I'm Reese Pesimio, and very excited to bring a fun conversation about a really fun form of therapy that hopefully everyone will have heard about after this, uh, equine assistive therapy. I'm really delighted to uh, welcome into the recording space um, Bethany Clark and Alicia Smith, two counselors in the Gresham, Oregon area. Uh, Bethany, Alicia, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Oh, would you uh, briefly introduce yourself as individuals, uh, just a little bit about what you do uh, clinically, what's your corner of the counseling world? So I um, am a licensed clinical social worker. I've been working with youth and families in a clinical sense for just about six years now. Um, I really, really love middle school, high school age youth. Those are my favorites, I think, um, just because of the really unique developmental stages that are happening there and how youth are starting to understand themselves, not only in the context of family, but also in the sense of um, the greater world and their peers and kind of what that means for their futures. Um, And I am a queer therapist and I really love supporting LGBTQIA uh, plus folks as well. Great. Thanks, Alicia. Yeah. And for me, I have been in the counseling field for a few years now. I am a licensed professional counselor intern, still working toward licensure in the state of Oregon. Um, I love working with young adults primarily. Um, I see a lot of people who are experiencing anxiety and I feel like young adulthood comes with a lot of decision making and transitions in life. And I love supporting people as they're navigating those sometimes treacherous waters coming out of their family of origin and kind of figuring out who they are as individuals. And I would say that's my primary population, but I also have been seeing some teens and some older adults as well. Yeah, thank you. And that's a really crucial life juncture to to support as <laughs> I'm not too far past that. Uh, well, I'm, I, I know I feel young at heart. So I, I have <laughs> a lot of the memories of trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life? And uh, when I figure it out, <laughs> I'll let you all know. Yeah, I think it kind of keeps going, but that's where it maybe starts. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the stakes get higher and the choices get more muddy as you get older. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes. uh, well, thanks again for, for talking about uh, horses in therapy. So just off the bat, uh, what, what is equine assisted therapy? And we'll talk about a lot of the other dynamics as we go. Yeah, so equine assisted therapy is kind of what it sounds like. Our horses assist us to do mental health counseling. Uh, Alicia and I are both certified in what's called EGALA, which is Equine Assisted Growth and Learning Association. It's a particular model that utilizes horses in therapy. 
It's a non-riding based model, so it's all ground-based for clients to interact with horses kind of in their natural environment. And we're often, well, we're always together. Alicia and I facilitate sessions as co-facilitators, so we work together in each session, and then we usually have horse partners as well, and that might be anywhere from one to three horses that join us in session. Awesome. So, so you said non-riding, so, 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 you, so you don't need to know how to ride a horse to do equine-assisted therapy. Correct, yeah. In the model that we use, there are a variety of different um, certifications and approaches to the work, um, and some of them do involve like mounted riding work, but um, the Agawa model doesn't. It's all on the ground, and um, clients can have a range of experience with horses. We've had folks out who own their own horses and ride often, um, and we've also had folks out who have never been around horses in their life. So it really can um, cater to a wide variety of horse exposure and experience. Yeah. Oh, that just sounds amazing and exciting. So, so I'm imagining, well, I guess to walk me through. So I mean, what would a, what would a typical session kind of look like? Sure. So um, like Bethany mentioned, we will have typically between one and three horses in the space and our horses are always I shouldn't say always because of course there are exceptions to, to most things in the world, but um, are typically loose in the space. So um, clients will come in and they'll be on the ground and then myself and Bethany will be there. One of us will be in what's considered the mental health therapist role in that moment. And one of us will be in more of an equine specialist role. And that person, the equine specialist is there to really be paying attention to horse behaviors and patterns and promoting the physical safety while the mental health therapist is facilitating the therapy portion of the work. Um, and so we'll typically give clients an objective or a task. Um, the gala model focuses around four different kinds of tasks. There might be an observe objective that's offered, like spend some time noticing what's happening with the horses, um, who you feel most connected to, if there are any patterns that stand out. Um, there's a move objective where we might ask a client to move a horse from one space to another. Um, there's a relate where we have a client focus on building relationships with the horses. And then there's a create option where we might ask a client to build or make something using um, the space or some different props we sometimes have out like poles, cones, what might typically be pool noodles, but will also often become something else in the client metaphor um, to create something that represents um, their own mental health journey and move the horses through it. So. It really depends on client as far as how we structure the session. One session might have multiple components kind of integrated throughout depending on the goals the client is working on. Um, but after the, the objective is given and the client has some space to work through that with the horses, Bethany and I will typically kind of step back and let the client have their own process in that. Um, and then we'll kind of rejoin together and talk through what did they notice, what happened, how does it kind of connect to their larger life um, and world. Okay. Yeah. And as they're doing that, actually, when we step back, Alicia and I kind of have our own job that we're doing rather than like, we are watching the client uh, and the horses, but we're often looking for a few different things. So in the Agala model, we operate looking for, they call it spuds. So it's looking for shifts, patterns, unique things, discrepancies, and then so kind of in that, to just explain those a little bit, so shifts would be like when a horse goes from doing one thing to doing another thing, or if a client goes from doing one thing to another thing. Alicia and I are often, when we're kind of stepped back and 
uh, side by side. We typically are side by side. We try to stay together so we can um, communicate with each other is we're looking for those things. So, and we're looking for them so we can maybe bring them up to a client or if a client brings them up, we can use that kind of in their story and in their metaphor during the session. So like I said, shifts are like horses just doing one thing from going from standing still to maybe moving around. We also look for patterns. So that's when the horses are doing something more than a couple of times. And we do that because we're looking to see why that might be happening or if the client brings it up. That horse, you know, moved from this spot to this spot and they did it like three times. Um, that might have uniqueness to their story. It might not. Uh, we often will pull from what clients are saying. And then we also look for things that are unique. So, and unique can be several things. So it might be unique, something our horses don't typically do. They might do something that's kind of, let's say out of character. We also might look for things that are unique for our clients to do. If we know our clients pretty well and we think like, wow, that client's been coming out for a while. They've maybe been hesitant to interact with the horses and now they're like really interacting with them. Um, that would be something that's unique. And then the discrepancies piece is um, kind of traveling with what clients say and do. And I think therapists often do this in office or any modality is here's what my client's saying, but here's what they're doing. So we just look for those in session to kind of see if there's any therapeutic rebel, re relevance to those. And a lot of times I would say in this model, it shows up with, I feel fine around horses. And yet maybe some nonverbals kind of show that someone might not feel so fine around big animals that are like free and doing kind of their own things. And then the last thing we look for, which is pretty important, is the apostrophe S of spuds. And that is our own stuff. So kind of things around counter transference or just what's coming up for the therapist or the equine specialist. And luckily we have each other to bring those up and kind of help each other out when we're maybe feeling uncomfortable with what a client's doing, or it might even be uncomfortable with what a horse is doing and allowing ourselves to see it play out and allow the process to take place just like you would in most settings. And again, I think this is where it's important that we have sessions that are co-facilitated because there are two people there in charge of different parts of the safety of clients. And as always with therapists, I think keeping our own stuff processed and in check is really important. Always, yeah. And having having the the the, the dual facilitator model that's, that's really fascinating to me. Uh, and, and and I love the idea of the collaboration, um, both for the I mean for the accountability for the what did I miss and just uh, I imagine there's there's quite a good you know synergy that the two of you create with each other too. Yes. Yeah, I feel really lucky um, because Beth and I have known each other for a while. And so um, I think that's really helpful to our dynamic that we have a really connected familiar flow. But also um, the fact that we're both therapists. So even when one of us is in the equine specialist role, it's almost like we can have in the moment peer consultation in a session, um, which is really awesome. And I think really valuable because as therapists, often working in an office, so much of the work we do is unwitnessed or we don't get the immediate feedback from another professional. And so I think there's a real um, growth edge to it that I know I value too, that it kind of keeps me really sharp and intentional and reflective um, and able to get some feedback from another colleague about what do you think about the way I framed that or um, you know, how, how can we best move forward here? Um, the other reason that I think the apostrophe S 
piece and the owner transference is so valuable in the to pay attention to in the equine model is that Egala really emphasizes the role of using clean observations and letting the client really drive the metaphor and the insight that they take from the session. And so um, kind of managing our own interpretations that we aren't saying like, oh, that horse looks angry or that horse looks happy, but we're saying, wow, I saw that horse move really quickly or um, I saw them turn their head toward that other horse um, to keep it a little more open to the client's own perception. That just sounds really great. So, so in this space with the, uh, you know, one to three horses, uh, you know, up to three people there, are, are the horses trained any particular way for equine assisted therapy or are they just, I don't know, is there standardized training for horses or how does that work? <laughs> it's a great question. Uh, That's a good question. Yeah. So in this model, there, there isn't a standard. Um, I think it depends on your team and, uh, kind of the program that you're running. I would say a lot of people that are doing this work have quite a variety of types of horses, sizes of horses, temperaments. Uh, the neat thing about this model is that you can use horses that maybe can't be ridden or have other jobs sort of in the horse world. And so it brings value to some animals that are often maybe set aside. And I think as far as our horses that we have in our program, our horses have all had various, uh, let's say careers or jobs uh, throughout their lives. And we've used them in a lot of ways. We've actually owned all of these horses for, uh, I think 15 or more years, we've had all of them. Uh, so we know them fairly well and we've done a lot with them. So when it comes to doing this work, we feel pretty comfortable with the herd we have, but we are also always evaluating safety and we're looking again for those like patterns of behavior and things that stand out because we want our horses to in essence want to do the work so we're always being mindful of switching horses out or giving breaks or trying our best to match horses with certain situations uh and i think you just have to be mindful i guess i think it's important to have a horse person, at least one horse person that kind of knows the herd well, it would probably be irresponsible to just get a random horse and put them in there and hope for the best. I think you would want to know a little bit more of maybe their personality, how they respond to things. Because we might, like, depending on who we have, if we're anticipating a certain energy level with clients, we might pick horses that would fit better with that or that respond maybe certain ways. But we also can't predict how they will always respond because they are animals and they do make their own choices while they're in session. For sure. For sure. Okay. So, so I'm introducing a tangent, but so I'm thinking about movies like, um, I think I'm remembering, I'm thinking I'm making the right movie reference, but I think it's a movie like Seabiscuit where it's like, I think it's like Tobey Maguire. He's uh, yeah. a, a jockey out in his luck and he gets, and he's traumatized and he gets paired with this horse that's also been traumatized. And like in the movie flow, like they have this bond and it like, like this nice, tearjerker happy ending but but yes. is that but is that like a realistic scenario where like you'd bring in like a traumatized horse or would that actually be like very counterproductive in this particular scenario or yeah so I would say that there are people that do I know providers that use this model who have used horses that have maybe a past or history in certain ways whether that's trauma or maybe neglect or maybe they've just been handled a certain way I think there could be value to that again I think 
you have to just be really careful and mindful of who the client is and what their sort of own safety measures are um, and like having that really well as well known as you can before putting them with a horse that might be a little bit more responsive or reactive in certain situations. But I would definitely say having a variety of horses that respond differently to situations is really valuable because people will connect to that thing. If a horse maybe moves quickly away from an object, a client might interpret that as fear or even when our horses interact with each other, if one horse appears to be moving the other horse around, someone might interpret that as being like mean or pushy or a bully or those kinds of things. And again, that's, I guess, where it's important to balance allowing the client's story to unfold. Because even with a horse maybe who isn't reactive or hasn't been abused, perhaps their less movement or calmer nature might even be with a client with trauma might be who they would want to be. Uh, they want to be that calm entity. So I think either way you can get a story to pull from regardless of the horse. That makes sense. I would say too, like um, we often don't share much about our horse backgrounds with clients um, in an effort to protect the clean slate aspect for the, for the metaphor to unfold as clients need. So even if we did have a horse with a really significant abuse or neglect to background, it's possible we would disclose that in a really intentional way, but for the most part, it's likely that we would not. Right. And you're there all the time watching everything closely anyway. And, and, and because you're both therapists and you're both horse people, like you're both able, you'd both be able to, to intervene and be safety guards and everything. So yeah, yes, that's great. It does, does indeed sound very, very safe. So, uh, so, uh, so thinking about, thinking about the clients that come in um i'd love to know you know both you know for, for you i mean who i mean who are your favorite kinds of clients to work with in this setting and um and what draws you to them um and and with that too like i guess what sorts of clients uh are what sorts of clients benefit the most from this sort of setting like clients with trauma clients with addiction clients with anxiety with attachment disorder etc yeah, I think that's a that's a really important question to consider. Beth and I were kind of talking about this in preparation um, and just noticing we are connected to a lot of therapists, a lot of equine assisted therapists who use this model for a variety of clients from eating disorders to significant trauma to domestic violence, um, military personnel. So the model itself is really versatile um, because it also allows for some overlay of different um, therapy orientations like narrative work or we sometimes will integrate like CBT concepts or DBT skills into what we're doing with clients. So there's a lot of flexibility there as far as who can benefit. Um, and I think folks who really embrace more of an experiential model or process opportunities are often really great candidates. Um, Beth and I work with a lot of folks who experience tremendous anxiety and um, are navigating transitions in a variety of ways. So those are really, I think, I don't want to speak for Bethany, <laughs> but I think those are really um, the individuals that we enjoy having out to work with our horses because um, there's almost like an exposure element to it as far as the anxiety work that you just can't quite get in the office to have another creature there who is large and making their own decisions, I think gives clients a new opportunity to practice their 
own anxiety regulation skills, their decision-making skills, their ability to relate and connect to another being all in real time. Um, and it's, I think, really powerful to be able to kind of coach and facilitate that process so clients can practice um, skills in that setting and then start to generalize into other spaces. The experiential yeah. learning component makes a lot of sense given that there's this very whole body like other creature experience going on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 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 And I, if I would allow Alicia to speak for me because she's, <laughs> she spoke well to my experience as well. And I, I would say like with anxiety, it just, it has this natural change that happens when people come in, you can kind of see it unfolding week to week as they are, yeah, kind of being exposed to things that might be somewhat stressful and seeing that play out. And even just like the byproduct of self-esteem and confidence and kind of this attachment relationship that can manifest between a horse and a human. Uh, it's really cool to be able to see that and witness that. And I think a lot of our clients, whether that's what they're working on or not, I think it's something that naturally just happens. Yeah, they naturally get to experience, here's, a, here's an attachment, maybe here's a, a healthier, calmer, more reassuring attachment than, than I generally get to get. And, uh, and in, I mean, you on your own as a human would offer that for sure, but then it just, just gets magnified by this <laughs> very large animal. Yeah, and I think um, the fact that it's an animal too allows for more uh, externalizing or processing about the relationship dynamics. Um, I'm thinking about how often we will have clients broach conversation around like, does this horse like me or what do they think of me or what's it like for them when I say that? And as therapists, we're aware that those dynamics are coming up in the room when we're with a client, but it, I, I don't think it's verbalized as often as when it's like with the horse and able to talk about it. So I think it really helps um, create safety to kind of converse around some topics that are maybe a little more personal or close to home or wouldn't feel safe to talk about in a human. That wouldn't feel safe to talk about in a human relationship. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So, so you mentioned some types of types of people that, that really benefit. And it seemed like you mentioned a pretty broad range of people that you work with. Like you mentioned working with, with, with teens, with, with, with veterans, with, with people with anxiety, um, sounds like with uh, queer folk also. Um, any other particular like favorite kinds of kinds of clients that that you look for or get really excited about? Yeah, we also really love working with other helpers in the community. Um, and that's a part of our program that we're growing right now. Um, but we've offered a few different opportunities for therapists and other yeah, caregiver folks to come out and work with our horses, um, like some OT, PT, speech pathologists. And that has been an awesome experience. Um, we've really been focused around like helping those individuals build their self-care routines, their own self-compassion, um, ways to prevent or reduce compassion fatigue and burnout. Um, so that is a new space that we're really excited about expanding into because we know there's a need and we love supporting our fellow therapists in that way. I love that idea. Uh, we just... I mean, we just recently did an episode around compassion fatigue and, uh, and particularly the way like all of us helper people are particularly stressed with the whole, you know, virus thing going on. Yeah. Uh, there's some peculiar stressors for us right now, but it sounds like, um, this one, uh, this would be, um, a good thing for all of us, uh, 
people helpers to, to look into when, when all of this blows over and we can like get close to people again. <laughs> so. yeah. Yes, we yeah. are looking forward to that change. I think we had been talking about this the last, well, quite a few months, really since we started, probably we've been talking about our hearts are also wanting to help the helpers. And Alicia and I have both had experience working like in school systems too. So just, it's not just therapists, but like therapists and educators and other people that are impacting our communities in different ways. And so I think since, yeah, the whole uh, virus thing has kind of taken over a lot of our communities, we are, I guess, extra looking forward to being able to offer some resources and like group efforts uh, post COVID, at least in this season and being able to, yeah, offer some help and resources for clients to have a way to process the things that are going on right now. Oh, wow. I'm so excited about that. Uh, Cause yes, we're, we're, I think we're all going to come out of this with an adjustment disorder or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it be yeah. likely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Well, I mean, say, say a little bit more about that though. So in, in our, pre-show dialogue, uh, you'd mentioned uh, community impact and wanting to serve the community in a particular way and you know, hoping that your, your practice grows that way. Uh, say a little bit more about um, not just how you are already able to benefit individuals, but how, how can equine-assisted therapy benefit the greater community? Yeah, uh, we've been talking about this a little bit and kind of been thinking through this conversation even is thinking about Alicia and I both have just a heart for our community and we've both lived and grown up in the area that we are now working in and just have a heart for the people that are around us. And we think that even though we work with individuals primarily at this point, just the idea behind being able to help individuals in essence helps our community because people go out with maybe greater skills or just more confidence and the ability to be a part of the community in a, a bigger way. And we love doing that. And I think part of our heart behind wanting to help like the helpers of our community is just they are, they have kind of these branches out to more people that we can't necessarily access. So being able to help those individuals who then each have their own caseloads of people that they're working with and being able to have like our horses in our program be able to pro provide that is something that I think we're excited about. I think we're already doing in some small ways and are wanting to grow more in that regard. Cause I think any of us know, like if we're feeling better, the people we're around might in essence benefit from that and being able to continue that process, I think is something we want to be a part of. Yeah. That totally makes sense. The, the idea of, you know, uh, you know, save yourself to save the world, uh, essentially. What are, Alicia, what are your, some of your thoughts about this? I think Bethany speaks to the big one that we're excited to kind of continue or start a ripple effect to kind of impact the helpers and by extension who they're supporting. Um, just as we grow on the whole, as well as the business, we are really working to be intentional about centering diversity and equity in our client base. So making sure that we are offering affordable services. Um, having grown up in the horse world, Bethany and I have seen how quickly horses can almost become an elitist or just higher socioeconomic opportunity. Um, and we have really been working to be thoughtful about how we 
offer reduced scale spot, like reduced fee services or um, work to connect with agencies that are serving folks who might not otherwise have access um, and being really thoughtful about that. Um, we're also hopefully in the next year, <laughs> uh, of course, depending on how COVID impacts um, businesses right now, we are hoping to expand our therapist team and um, hoping that doing so that that will also give us another opportunity to integrate more diversity in our um, staff as Jerish counseling. So those are some expansions that we're looking forward to. Yeah, that's super exciting. And then I'm glad you you touched on that a little bit, Alicia, because I, I was wondering a little bit about the just like the, the cost and accessibility. Um, I mean, like, I would go to this, I would, I would send my family, my kids to this, uh, for, for sure. Um, and I, and as much as I can't afford to do anything, I could afford this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, would it would insurance cover this? Or how, how does that work? Yeah, so um, I do accept insurance. And um, in very technical terms, I suppose it's built under the same CPT codes. Um, and our horse facility is just another insurance um, approved address for us to provide services at. All right. Uh, of course, that means that we are like, since there are two of us in the session, that insurance fee is split between two of us as well as our horses. And so there is an additional cost on our end, but it's something that we're, yeah, really wanting to make sure that we're thoughtful and intentional about. And Bethany and I also both hold several um, reduced fee spots for clients who don't have insurance and also maybe aren't able to afford our full private pay rate. Yeah, that's so great. I, I love, um, I just love what what's going on here where you I mean you recognize you you have a really beautiful thing, a really necessary thing that you're offering, and you're absolutely worth like every penny that you could charge for it. And I mean, and you're absolutely worth that. But then there's a the tension of you want to make it accessible for the people who most need it. And and I really appreciate these sorts of gestures of you know being willing to work with insurance. I know not every therapist is, and being willing to offer sliding fees and. I know not every therapist is and, um, and being able, being mindful of that balance for your own selves, taking good care of yourselves in there too. It just seems like a really good, well-balanced business approach. And that's hey. not just, that's not just like for-profit business, but also like very justice oriented too. So. Thanks. Yeah. Beth and I also off, well, sometimes mentioned to each other, like we are structured as a for-profit, but we really strive to operate with a nonprofit heart. <laughs> we almost started as a nonprofit and then we got <laughs> really overwhelmed by the idea of a board of directors and all the extra steps that would be required. <laughs> but that's yes. a possible future vision for us. <laughs> that would be really exciting if that, if that could go. Or if you just grew to have like that much of a team and that much of a flow, that would be super exciting. Uh, circling back to something not strictly business related, but there, there was one uh, theory question I had in my very little bit of reading around this, um, it almost gave the impression that coming from a very experiential lens, uh, working with working with animals, uh, I was curious, in the equine assistant model, are there ways that you understand things like trauma or things like attachment maybe a little bit differently than the mainstream com counseling community? Or I guess, are there like extra extra layers that you bring to like the experience of trauma? Yeah, I think, we were talking about this question too, and we were like, are we, is it different? Like, do we see things differently? And I think for the most part, I don't think we necessarily view trauma or like mental health disorders differently from other therapists. Um, I think we just, we were talking about kind of the ability and even something we were talking about earlier 
is that we have each other to collaborate with and then we have our horses to collaborate with. So it kind of adds just a different layer of supporting clients. And I think we were talking about this earlier, right? Is like mainstream counseling, you work alone. You're like by yourself, you go to school, you learn how to do things and then you work with people on your own and often people aren't seeing your work. So being able to have this partnership with our horses and with each other, I think just creates a different layer of seeing things and understanding kind of a client's story. And our horses even bring a lot to that too. Like they just allow more space to see a bigger picture. I think one of the things we were talking about is just our ability to rely on attachment and neurobiology and then a relational understanding of trauma. And I think, again, this isn't really specific to equine therapy, but I think it just is something that with other animals and other beings, there are more relationships. And we can also talk about neurobiology in a different way because horses also have brains and they also are social in the sense of they are herd animals. So there's just other layers that kind of, even in like psycho ed for clients, I think it brings something different to the table. I think so. Where I'm thinking about, uh, you know, trauma and how, I mean, I, I think, I feel like our, our understanding of trauma is hopefully improving and getting deeper anyway, but maybe older understandings of trauma are that, oh, it's some, something's wrong with this person or this person's a, like a helpless victim or they're just stuck or they're, they're not getting over it. Um, but, but it sounds like you get to really look at the, the attachment components of, of trauma and look at how the really strong relational component to, to a healing process of not just needing to learn to like do different things or not just learning how to like, you know, think a different way necessarily, much as those things could be good, but really experiencing relating in a different way, like experiencing being seen in, in a different way, getting close to another organism in a different way. And it sounds like that, that's a, that's a really uh, powerful aspect of what you offer here. I know we've kind of touched on this already, but I think that just goes back to one of the benefits that we both find also in having a diverse herd. We have six horses in our therapy program and each of them brings something very different and special to the work that they do in, in the way that they connect to clients and the energy they bring to a session. And it's really a lovely process to watch clients kind of find the horse that they connect with more than the others. It feels like a little gift that we get to unwrap in session every time that it happens. Um, and sometimes for depending on the client, we might have a real sense of which horses are the best fit that we kind of want to start with, but some horses or some clients will give them the opportunity to meet each member of our herd and then get to choose who they want to spend most of their time with moving forward. And, um, yeah, it's sometimes surprising too, which is kind of fun because as Beth, Beth mentioned, we've known these horses for a long time. And I think sometimes that means we bring our own guesses about which horse will connect with which client best. And when it's different, it's always like a nice humble check for ourselves too. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> I don't have this all sorted out just yet. Um, and lets us really lean into our horse's wisdom and our client's wisdom, I think, as an extension, which um, we both really value. Yeah, that's super exciting. Um, oh, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm really delighted to have this conversation like now through this format because it's what we have. But I really, uh, I really wish we could I, I could just be in the stables and uh, be with the horses as we're talking about this because that just sounds so very soothing and comforting and just very grounding and 
Yes. That'll be episode two. Yeah. That'll be episode two. Yes. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do the sequel. <laughs> Bethany or Alicia, um, are there any other just last tidbits that are really important to say about what this model is or about you as practitioners or about your horses as creatures or, or anything else? Keeping it with just the easy light questions here as we wrap up. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think something I'm thinking about and even, I think maybe we touched on this earlier, but one of our goals has been to educate our community about what this is, which is kind of what we're doing right now in some fashion. And we've been doing that in other ways. And I think when people hear equine assisted therapy, there are a lot of unknown, just there's just a lot of unknown information and facts about what people know about that. Some people look at you like, what in the world are you talking about? You do what? Um, other people know about what's called hippotherapy, which is what often more of a therapeutic writing format where um, folks with either developmental or physical disabilities will ride horses in order uh, to assist them with physical therapy, occupational and speech. And so just letting people know kind of some of the differences and even one of the big factors of you don't have to have experience with horses. You don't even really have to have a huge comfort level with it. It's okay if you <laughs> experience it and you can even start with the way Alicia was talking about some of the session structures, like the observe model. You can even start in that regard and you don't have to necessarily be as close or near to horses. So I think an effort we've been trying to make is just educating people about that and offering kind of information and sharing what we personally do because there are some differences in these different models. And I think one of the things we often tell people is like, well, it is experiential, so you sort of have to experience it to know. But one of the barriers we often run into is getting people to come to that first experience. But what I would say is once people have, I don't really know a lot of people who absolutely hated it. I think there are some people that might feel like, eh, it's not really for me. But a lot of people who maybe had some unsure feelings about it, or maybe even they didn't really want to try it, once they do, they kind of get I don't know what I want to call it maybe just like open doors and like an expansion of like oh I could do something different like this and this does fit me and I think that's fun to witness and our efforts are in the sense of like getting people to maybe at least try it so they can see and yeah being able to share that is a goal of ours yeah well that sounds very true to true to life and like the you know any sort of like experiential mystical reality where yeah there's uh, there's a limited degree of cognitive explanation that can go into it. And really some things you just got to see and you got, just got to taste and see and feel it, uh, which I guess that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So we appreciate the people, I guess we have that have that, that courage and bravery to step out and try it. And a lot of our clients have been really gracious. They sought us out for office work and then they might come try it. And I think that's been really cool to see them benefit from it. That's so great. That's so great. So, and I'm glad you mentioned that too, because so, so you work, you both work with horses, but it sounds like you, you both also have, uh, uh, conventional practices or you both work in office. Um, so, so if a person wanted to see you not with horses, they could do that too. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's allowed. <laughs> yeah. And we uh, work pretty closely with our clients to determine like what the right fit is for each of them. So we do have a few that we only see in office and a couple we only see with the horses, but um, many are a mix and the frequency really varies from every other week with the horses and then every other week in office to once a month with the horses, um, just kind of depending on their preference or needs. Sounds great. So then if a uh, potential client or colleague I guess they could all be all be potential clients. Um, but if anyone wanted to find you to either work with you with the horses, work with you in general, or just uh, have a dialogue around this, uh, where can they find you on the webs and uh, and geographically, where are you located as well? Yeah. So um, anyone who's interested in finding out more about us can visit us at cherishcounseling.com, and that is the word cherish with two eyes. And it's actually an acronym. It stands for cultivating hope enriching relationships, and inspiring internal self-harmony. Sort of our mission wrapped up into our name. Um, we can also be found on Facebook and Instagram if people are interested in following us on social media. All right, sounds good. And you're in uh, Gresham, Oregon? Yeah, so our offices um, for in-office work are in downtown Gresham. And then our horses are located out in Troutdale, just about 10, 15 minutes from downtown Gresham in Chate, Oregon, which is a lovely, very small town just on the border of the Columbia River Gorge, which is really nice. Yes, it's a very pretty spot. All right. So Cherish Counseling with two eyes. It's a very inspiring acronym. And all right. So do, uh, do check that out and you will not be disappointed. Well, Bethany and Alicia, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me about this. And thank you so much for the work that you do for their community and for our community of people helpers. I feel like this is a really, really valuable thing and a really great treasure out here on the wild east side of the uh, Portland metropolitan area. So. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for having us. Thanks Abs for having us today. It. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, listener, for listening along. Uh, check this out and let's keep the conversation going. We love your feedback and invite you to share your thoughts about this conversation. Also, we'd appreciate your review and five-star rating on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Share your thoughts through email at smartcouncilpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash smartcouncilpodcast. Please consider supporting this podcast with a financial donation through patreon.com slash smartcouncil. Our theme music is by Trent Price. Our logo design is by Thomas Moore. Thanks again for listening, and let's keep the conversation going. Music